Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome to another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today I'll be joined by Boston Bolts MLS Next Director Sean Napier and Director of Coaching Greg Robertson. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Awesome. So we're having you in because we know it's it's busy times for the Bolts. I mean, the MLS next season is, is really starting to crank up. In March, I know it'll really crank up. In the spring, it'll crank up. But you guys get a lot of kind of fascinating things going on within the club, things you guys do to try to help yourselves out and, and kind of separate yourselves from the from the rest of the club landscape in in new england which we know is highly competitive but greg we'll start with you what are some of the interesting things i know you guys have tried to ramp up your analytics and and the way you're kind of focusing not just win-loss results but just things that show you a better a better look outlook on developmental play on how players are developing and and where they should be going things like that but take us through kind of the analytical process that you guys are going with right now yeah absolutely dan yeah we we firmly believe our our role is, is to develop individual soccer players. Our job is not to create a winning team because ultimately our our players' aims and, and ambitions for the vast majority of them is to be recruited and to play at a very high level of, of college soccer. So we're not going to graduate our U19 team to become the next Harvard team. So we understand that they're all at different ages and stages. They're all at different levels in, in what they can do on and off the field. So our job is to try and identify their strengths, make them super strengths, look at their weaknesses, how do we how do we improve their weaknesses? And we need to look at each individual player and see the, the areas. So, so we've we've created five areas. We we've got we've got football skills, we've got football IQ, we've got football fitness, we've got football mentality, and the fifth one is a football initiative where the players take the responsibility. So it has to be player centered, it has to be player driven. So so a lot of the things we say to the players, you either do it or you don't do it. Hmm. Because ultimately we're we're trying to create good human beings, kids that will take responsibility for their own development, for their own actions, their own behaviours. So we put a lot of metrics in place and, and we we task the kids to to do it. So whether it's breaking down games from an individual perspective, whether it's doing their, their homework challenges, whether it's doing their player diaries, it's ultimately it's on them and we won't chase them up. And we're now creating a culture where it's a little bit of FOMO. So once one or two do it within a, a certain age group, three or four do it, then five and six do it, and then it spreads like wildfire. And we're now created a culture where they're all fully bought in. They all want to develop. They all want to improve. And then if you have a if you have that within a group, then your team ultimately is going to get better on a Saturday or a Sunday. Hmm. Sean, anything to add on that from from your point of view? Yeah, no, no. I mean, from since Gray's come in, which has been just over two years now, Greg. <coughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. just over two years, and just seeing a different philosophy in terms of player development and instead of focusing on the team we, we very much focus on the in- individual and giving the individual the tools to go and focus on their performance yeah i was going to say how much of a a cultural shift has there been within bolts i mean because you got you guys have been around but like you kind of change with the times i guess and, and alter your your plans a little bit has there been a, a cultural shift within the club have you guys decided that maybe we need to shine a light on this more than maybe this is that kind of how th- how these things come about or yeah so I mean, I spent 18 years, my previous 18 years, professionally working at Celtic Football Club, mm. and, and we had 99% of our players, the aims and aspirations were to become a professional football player, and that was our role, whether it was at Celtic or whether it was elsewhere. And I'm very fortunate, a lot of the, the kids that i worked with over the years now, like 
Kieran Tierney, who's Arsenal on loan to Real Sociedad, um, Ben Doak, who's moved to Liverpool, Andrew Robertson at Liverpool. So, so you know, we we had a good model, we had a good concept and a way of developing players. I I was a coach within it, so I'm now have a more overarching responsibility, and I never once felt pressure at Celtic to win a game of football. I think that just comes naturally. I, I think everybody is instinctively competitive. And there's this age-old argument, what do you place more of importance on, winning or development? Mm. I think it's both. I, I, I don't think anybody ever sets up a team and instructs them to go and lose a game of soccer. Everybody's competitive. Kids are competitive. And I think the difference is whether you are driven by competing or just purely winning. And we've tried to create a mindset where we have our values, we have a game model, we have our principles, and we won't bend from them purely to win a game of soccer at U13, U14 or U15. Because right. what does it ultimately mean? I mean, it's, that, like, it's, it's one match when you're a 13-year-old player. I mean, what does that... What, it doesn't mean right, anything. Right, right. It does, and nobody will remember. And, and literally nobody will remember who, who won the MLS Cup U17 right. last season, apart right. from those who won it, or probably those who lost in that final. Nobody will know. So ultimately, it doesn't. It, it, for me, that that doesn't matter. Right. So sometimes there's a misconception of of my beliefs is that it's a little bit happy clapping, and I don't care about winning. You see me in the side of the. I'm as passionate as as, as the next person. I grew up in Scotland. I watched Scotland lose game after game after game, but through a kind of radical shift with the Scottish Football Association, where the emphasis of getting three points and winning was pushed to the side, and it was more about developing players. Scotland national team now are producing some incredible players mm-hmm. like Andrew Robertson, Kieran Tierney, John McGinn in the Premiership. And they qualified one of the first countries to qualify for the Euros uh, in Germany in 2024. Mm. So having that real laser focus on individual players and player development, you will ultimately get the results of, of getting results. It's a hard, I, it's a tough sell for, for kids though, I, to, to tell kids like, Guys, don't worry about wins losses. Just worry about your development. Because I, anybody who even ha- I have, I have a, my oldest son is twelve now, and he'll he'll lose a game and get all bent out of shape about it. And I'll say to him like, "Look, no one's going to remind, no one's going to remember what happened in that game by next week. Like, it, you just need to keep getting better. You, like, you don't want to be peaking when you're twelve years old. You want to be peaking when the time really matters. So, do you find like the kids in the club are buying into? what you guys are trying to preach here with development and don't worry about that. That'll take care of itself. Do you think everyone's bought into this? I think, I think from my standpoint, Matt, it's more, you can tell them, yeah. but being able now to provide evidence mm. and, and that's the key thing. So it's, it's, it's taking, it's taking time. And I think we've taken some bloody noses in terms of yeah, sure. uh, results, but Again, it's now with the technology that we use and then the stats that we have available, the players are able to go in and measure their performance and they don't necessarily look at the wins and the loss. So you might lose a game 2-1, but you know what? We played really well. Mm. And if a centre-back, you can now measure your forward passes, your line-breaking passes, your possession, all those things. And you can say, you know what? We actually played well, but we made a few mistakes and, and we were punished for it. So it's realising that it's not it's not the end result. But if we try and achieve these KPIs that Greg talked about having in place, then we're more likely to to get the win right but uh, again early on it was i think it was tough but i think the families are now and the players are it's more important than the players they're now bought into what we're trying to do having all this information though and all the stuff that you guys are developing has to is making your jobs a lot more there's a lot more going on i mean you're not just on the field coaching you're 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 using kind of these these measurements that, that maybe other clubs aren't using so is this i imagine this is making things more busy for you guys but you're you're happy with it right uh, absolutely yeah. it's uh it's a twelve to fourteen hour day. Yeah. For as we, we, we we'll arrive 
at Mount Ida at our office at 9am and uh, and quite often will not leave till 10pm after, <laughs> after the last training practice and and that office time is is designed to to put in place individual development plans for for the players is to break down games at the weekend is to look at individual clips from the weekend so we're fortunate we we use VO technology for our, our capturing mm. our games and also the, the analytics piece and, and there's a great resource within there that the players can create their own highlights from the weekend. We encourage them. We don't force them to do it. We encourage them. We encourage them to create three positive clips and three clips in which they feel they could do a little bit better and they can then send them to the coach. So as a coach, if one player sent them back, that that considerably lessens the time. When 18 players send back six clips, that, that's time consuming. But but the coaches are all invested into into making each individual player better. So you get a little insight into what did the players see in that moment, whether they made the wrong run or they're questioning the coach, could I have made a better run? Could I have made a better choice on the ball there? And that then goes back then onto the field where you can then put them back in that position. You can talk through it. So we're trying to create a whole loop where we're we're developing individuals within a team context on the on the training field. We're playing the game, and then we're providing opportunities to to break down. And, and we and we mentioned it at the start about the season starting back up and games are starting back up. Another way in terms of that that kind of mindset where where we're trying to create the with the players is that you don't waste a second. Hmm. So we we went and played Seacoast at the weekend and what would be perceived as pre-season friendlies. Now, the, the message to the players all the time is is that you don't have the right to value a game, what what game's important and what game's not important, because your moment, like the old sliding doors movie with Gwyneth Paltrow 100 years ago, which probably nobody <laughs> listening to this podcast will remember. You, you You'd be surprised. We might have some people who know that one. You, you actually don't know when your moment's going to come. Yeah. So it might a college coach might have been tracking a player in the fall season, and he might just say, well, "I'm going to go and see how he applies himself in a preseason friendly." Right. And, and we're fortunate where we do have some some college coaches who are in and around Bolts, either as a parent or a coach, etc. So so they see how our players behave. So it might be a a, a cold Thursday evening at Mount Ida at practice. And how do, how do you warm up? How how do you help the coach collect the, the equipment in at the end? So these players don't have the right to pick and choose, and we're trying to educate the parents as well. You don't have the right to, to say that these three games in Dallas at, at the playoffs are the, the, the moment in which my son is going to be recruited or not recruited. Right. That, that's not going to happen. Right. It's going to be over the course of a, of a two years, three years, four years. So, so those little things in terms of when I came here, there were... There were real eye-openers for me, mm. where everybody's putting their eggs in basket and, and Dallas, Dallas is the moment that's going to happen. And, and and through my research and speaking to some coaches, that's not actually what happens. So right. somebody's creating this myth and, and this, where it's just, people are getting into a frenzy. So so really we're trying to create a, yeah. an environment where you come in on a Monday, you work as 100%, you come in on a Tuesday, you work in 100%, leave the spaces and the sizes to us in terms of we create a, a tactical periodization training model. So. Yeah. You just come in and apply yourself as, as full as you can. I do wonder, though, like like you're saying there, with kind of these national showcases that happen and these kids go there. You know, there's going to be hundreds of coaches there and hundreds of scouts there looking. And it, what kind of mindset it does to the kids like, okay, this is the weekend. I got to show. I got to show out. I got to be the best player on the field. I got to be the best player at my position. So it sounds like you guys are trying to, like, kind of temper that mindset by being like, no, no, 
what did you do Monday at training? What did you do Tuesday at training? And that's, that, too, has to be a hard sell to kids because they know they're going down to the showcase and they're going to be looked at. So do you feel like it, is it a struggle to get these kids when they're at these showcases not to be me, 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 me? i got to show, 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 show. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't think it is. Yeah. These three days that are going to determine their college pathway. Yeah. Uh, and, and through speaking to some really, really high-regarded coaches within the college game, that that isn't what happens. Right. That isn't what happens. So I think that that message needs to get out more too. I, th- I think kids need to know that like you don't need a hat trick on that Saturday showcase game to no, get to be to go know, to wherever go play, to a Pac twelve school. It doesn't matter. Players will put themselves at, at physical right. risk to play in these games. I, I had I had a kid last year who who damaged his his ACL. And his surgery was scheduled for after Dallas, but was determined he was going to play in Dallas because this was his this was his moment. Right, right. So if through a relationship with with First Point USA, who are our year round recruitment partner, who are going to help these players hopefully get placed in good colleges, our players continually week on week creating good highlights and updating their own player profile and constantly being engaging with college coaches, it's an ongoing process. Because if you put all your eggs in one basket for three games, you might only play one and a half of those three games. And the one game you do play, the full game, you might have an absolute stinker. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, a, I don't, for me, I don't think that would be the, the college you would want to go to if they're only going to recruit you off of one game. So, so we're, we're trying to educate people in what, in what we actually do believe goes on through some research with good people within the college game. This could be for either of you guys. What kind of feedback are you getting when you're talking to parents of players and telling them, hey, this is what we do, this is our approach? I would think as a parent of a player, they'd appreciate that, that it's a lot is going into this, and it's not just we're here to win a bunch of games. I mean, so are you getting positive feedback from parents on what you guys are doing? It's, it's been different. It's been mixed. <laughs> I think it's from my, my perspective and, and also not – being from this country and there's a, there's a winning mentality. It's mm. a, it's almost a win at all costs, and you're measured so by. All we care about yeah, here it's, well. it's yeah. all about winning. Yeah. And, and so for us, it's more about again, it's it's a long term development plan. And as Greg mentioned, it's not about getting to Dallas and, and those three games. And we've had some of the top colleges come to our practices just to watch, and they'll come to games and watch, and, and we won't tell the players. And that's why I think when Greg many mentioned the most important game that you have is the next game. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, just trying to hammer that home. And I think. Now over the, these two years, you're starting to see that. I think we're starting to see the players, the way they conduct themselves, the feedback we get from opposition coaches about the way that we try and play, regardless of the opposition and regardless of the scoreline. It, it's been it's been positive. So I think in the actions and behaviours of the, of the players, I think you can now start to see the the messaging and, and the belief in what we're trying to do coming across. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think in sports, anytime you're thinking outside the box and you're trying to do something new, there's going to be a little bit of pushback. I mean, there's going to be people, what do you mean? We're, we're, you're not trying to win? or what? That's what we want to do. I mean, that's in this country, that's all anybody cares about, I feel like, in any sport. So the fact that, you, like, is it hard for you guys to come up with the model of what you're doing and stick with it? I mean, you have to be committed to it, right? Because you can't just say, oh, we tried it for a few months, it didn't work, let's go back to trying to win games, and that's it. Yeah, no, I... I- I think the the experiences that I was afforded at Celtic and working with some incredible people at Celtic and some and a few things stick in my mind. Gordon Strachan, who was a Celtic manager for a time, and he was a Scotland manager. When he was a Celtic manager, he he would conduct some CPD events for the academy coaches, and he would always say, "Just give me the player, just develop a player that I can then put into the system for the first team." 
So ultimately, results matter at first team level and professional level because coaches lose their job. Players get new contracts based on wins and losses. At youth level, I don't think results matter. I generally don't think results matter. Nobody nobody will remember six months, a year down the line. They, they will not remember. But what we have, and, and this is the piece I, I generally believe that US soccer misses because this the country has everything. So it's got the climate. You can get sunshine, 365. It's got the facilities in abundance. It's got the diversity. Mm-hmm. There's South Americans, there's Americans, there's Asians, there's Europeans. There's 300 million people. There is an incredible opportunity. However, Monday to Thursday, I would imagine a lot of coaches and a lot of teams will train, quote-unquote, the right way. Come a game day, they'll abandon principles. The ball will go from back to front. They'll time mm-hmm. waste when they're 1-0 up. They'll chase a result at all costs. And that is to the detriment of developing the individual player. Mm. If we're winning 2-1, our message is score a third. If you can see the equaliser and it goes 2-2 and we throw away two points, absolutely fine. There's a teachable moment. When we come in on Monday, we'll break that moment down. How could we have done better in that game? Could, I be, be, could we have been positioned better to counter-press, to stop the counter-attack, to defend the box better? There's a brilliant moment. If all you're going to do for 10 minutes is waste time and keep the ball in the corner, what are we teaching the players? Right. So I genuinely believe that there's so much, there's so much on offer in this country. And it should be an absolute powerhouse. And and so and f- and far from me to right. to tell US folk about uh, about sport because they're absolute world class at a number of sports. Nobody can touch them. Right. But I feel that there is a mi- there's a missing piece to the puzzle, and it's this lack of of elite mentality, a real performance environment where it. People abandon principles. I, I, I was fortunate enough to go to, to Anaheim to the to United Soccer Coaches mm. Convention. I was recently at Gillette for the Mass Youth Soccer Workshop. Two incredible events, great speakers, great content. But I feel that people will take that information in and they'll deliver it on the coaching field. But come a game day, they'll revert back to type. And the type is get the ball forward, away from our goal, we score goals. And I, and I get there's probably a little bit of pressure that the coaches feel from parents because there's a pay-to-play mentality. So my, I'm paying X amount of dollars. We want to be winning because winning means that my kid's improving. Right. So I think there's a whole educational piece that needs to be done with the parents who have maybe not played soccer, might not understand. And ultimately, the score is a byproduct. And and really, the the light bulb moment for me was... When I came two years ago, I took our 2007s who were U15s at the time. And we, we all, we sat with the coaches and we said that this is the way we want to play. And it's going to take a little bit of time. And we practiced it at training. We put it into games. We lost a lot of goals. We were trying to build from the back. We got picked off, counter-attack goals. Heads were down. Kids were a little bit dejected. Come Some rumblings from parents, some rumblings from players. Oh, coach, we, we just want to, we want to win. We just want to win. We want to feel good about ourselves. Let's stick with it, stick with it. We then started getting some wins. It was great. And then the real moment for me was, was when that team, that 2017, they won a game 1-0. And the full-time whistle went and they walked off the field and every single one of their heads were down. Mm. They sat on the bench, their heads were down, they weren't looking up. I said, what's up lads, you, you know, we, we won a game, that must be brilliant. And they were, we were rubbish today coach, <laughs> we were rubbish. I'm like, you, you were rubbish, 
Yeah. You were rubbish. So the, the, the victory is hollow. The victory is empty. It doesn't right. come with anything. Right. So from there, that group were like, yeah, we, we're all in. We're all in. And, and, and I must say, I couldn't tell you where any of our teams are in the league standings or rankings. I have no interest in that whatsoever. But people tell me, but I don't look at it. People tell me that teams are either top, they're second, third, qualifying for Maryland, which is great. It's another opportunity for experiences for players. But the result, as the great Bill Wall said, the result takes care of itself. I, I mean, I've been saying for for years, growing up in this country, playing soccer, watching soccer, the thing, the, the developmental piece has always been what's missing in this in this country. I mean, we have world-class athletes playing soccer, but what they don't do is they don't know actually how to play soccer, which is why we perennially underachieve in any global tournament. I mean, we just, we, we don't, because the develop, I think that developmental piece has been missing and it's just been like, we're athletic, we're going to go for, we're going to chase, like, we don't play the game like the other, and I think that's, that's been the piece. And it's like you said, we have everything here to turn us into a soccer power. and It just hasn't resulted yet. I want to talk about MLS next in general. It seems to like, Couple different clubs in New England just got the full pe- the full uh, MLS Next pathway last year. It's growing. It's it's become a, a, a force in New England and across the country. It's top notch um, boys club soccer. What's what's it like being affiliated with MLS Next, and what does it do for for a player's pathway now in this country? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've, man, I've been here for fifteen years, and with the DA disbanding during I think it was two weeks once yeah. COVID hit and then within a week MLS Next announced that they were going to or MLS were going to be announced that they'd be the league and MLS, MLS Next came along and I think in this region with the clubs getting the, the pathway it's 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 given more players the opportunity to, to play within MLS Next which is a positive for them but I also think there's probably an element of it diluting the quality not that it should be more elite or anything like that, but I just feel like when you have so many clubs from U13 up to U19 and everyone looks for the patch, everyone looks for the patch, but they don't get MLS next with the Bulls, they'll go to, if it's IFA right. or, or right. another club or NFC or might, might have you. So it's, um, again, it's given more players the opportunity to play, but at, at what cost is it diluting the quality? Right. I'm not, I'm not so sure. Do you guys feel like the... The current club model, the current soccer model. I mean, I see it in basketball. It's everywhere. It's basketball. It's baseball. It's soccer. It's it's all three. That this pay to play model. Do you feel like it's it's sustainable and it's just gonna get too big and too crazy because it's it's hard to keep tabs on everything right now. It's hard to keep tabs on which which clubs are where, who's competing where. I mean, what what are you guys overall thoughts on the on the club model right now? Yeah, as I mean, I'm still relatively new to the right. country and it, and it is alphabet soup. In terms of all of the leagues and yeah. associations, etc., I, I, you know, I, I don't think there can be ever enough kids playing football, boys yeah. and girls out there. Um, you know, my, my own son plays at, at the Bolts and he plays in our NAL team, which was previously in the in the ECNL. And I actually went to watch them play yesterday. And, and for me, selfishly watching our NAL teams playing, I watched our U15s and U16s. We can see this kind of. Bolts DNA, the style of play running through all of our teams and all of our platforms. So not just our our MLS next teams, which which for us makes it great for us to recruit from within. So when we're looking to try and maybe move players and improve all of our groups, then we always look internally and and we're trying to create that consistency of message. But there is there is so much and 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 something that always kind of sticks in the back of my throat, and also because I'm. I'm a parent is is the cost of playing soccer in in this country. 
It's it's not just the registration fees. It's it's the uniform fees. It's the travel fees. It's the tournament fees. Overnight stay. We, we've we've tried to combat that a little bit with our MLS next teams first, where, where we're trying to adopt team travel. So whilst previously the the player would travel with their parent, so right away you've got two flights, mm-hmm. and then the parent will stay with the, Hotel, the player. You've right, got, so you've right. got one room, and then you've got a, a higher car, gas, two sets of meals. So we're trying to half that. We're, we're trying to we're trying to go coach some player chaperones. And the team will travel without the parents. So the right away you you reduce one flight, you reduce half of a room, you reduce the the need for the hire car. And also I think it really creates lifelong experiences and memories. Because I know my my own son's fourteen, he doesn't want to share a room with his mum. He wants to share a room right, with his with, teammate. With a friend, yeah, yeah. They want to go up to some hijinks. They right. want to within within the, the right. boundaries and just not get, don't get arrested, but have don't, some fun. Yeah. Don't, don't get arrested. <laughs> right. my, my, my little guy's right. one step away from getting arrested. Yeah. I'll be building him out very very soon. So, so we're trying to find ways in which we can try and help families because we understand that where we are situated, we we have some families who who are fairly affluent, but we also have fa- families who. You know who who really do struggle to to pay all of the fees and all of the travel. So, and through our, our uh, relationship with Vio, when we go to national events and we encourage the parents not to travel and just to travel with the players, we can we can use the technology to live stream the games back. Yeah. So, mom and pop can be sitting in the front room with the. 84 inch television <laughs> on and the game being live stream so they're, they're actually they're not really missing out they might be missing out being standing at the side of the field but they can save a few bucks while still watching the game yeah those are good points i mean i think that that cost aspect of of, of club anything right now has gotten is gotten is the hardest part probably that's the hardest probably deterrent from from people thinking they want to do it or go down that avenue so that's that's a interesting point in terms of this 2024 season, 2023-24 season, we'll be, we'll, we know we'll be cranking up. You guys are heading down to IMG um, soon. Just w- what are kind of your expectations? I know, as we already said, like it's not, not necessarily about the wins loss, but what are you guys hoping to see this, this 2024 year? What, 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 what's, what are the goals for, for the club for this year? Well, unfortunately, we're not all going to IMG. Uh, I'm, I'm staying at Mount Ida to shovel. The oh snow yeah, you'll have a nice field. foot of snow so, waiting um, for you. Yeah. yeah, so I'll I'll shovel the the snow at Mount Ida, but I'll <laughs> let Sean talk about IMG and make sure he's got his sunblock packed. Yeah, I'll need it. Yeah, so our, the 13s, 14s, 15s, they're they're going to head down, and the the rationale behind that was last year MLS had the national event where mm-hmm. they went to Palm Springs for the 13s, 14s, and. Whilst we don't necessarily believe we have to travel halfway in the country yeah. at thirteen, fourteen, although it is nice out there, it, it, still, yeah, yeah. it was nice. Yeah. <laughs> we are the thought process was, you know what, they're going to be traveling. They want if they want to go. We, I mean, we pretty much we asked them. We said if this was an option, would you would you want to go? And, yeah. and they did, and we felt that it would give them one national event, one trip where you're getting on a plane, it kind of preparing them for the future. But so with MLS not providing it, IMG, they it's the first year they've had the thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth. So that's where they're going to go. Don't have to go to California, send to Florida, get some minutes under the belt in some hotter, hotter climates to be able to prepare for the season coming up. And then with the 17s, 19s, I know it was the first year last year with IMG. Um, and again, it was well received. I think it was a, over 100 college coaches. And so it was a good event for, for recruitment. So we, we want to do it again. Yeah, I gotta admit, I get a little when I see all these places these kids get to go to play soccer. I'm, I'm a little jealous. I mean, that stuff wasn't going on when I went out. <laughs> you, were, you were just playing in Massachusetts when I was a kid.
We're, we're going to segue now to got you guys agreed to participate in our extra time segment with our producer, David Yaz, where he always, he never disappoints with some interesting questions. So he's going to hit us with three soccer related questions whenever he bit, is ready. A little bit nervous, David. Yeah. <laughs> you should be welcome to your personal hell, the extra time segment of the Gold Podcast. It's the end of regulation, so let's move to extra time. Now, these will be fun. Our panelists have not seen these questions ahead of time, so I will uh, open the hermetically sealed mayonnaise jar here, Matt, and take out the secret question, and we'll go sort of around the horn here. So, Greg, you can go first. Question number one, if soccer is the greatest game ever created, what's the second best game and why? Oh, what a question. So I'm going to stay on topic. I'm going to say American football, NFL. Mm-hmm. I'm just hot off the heels of the Patrick Mahomes show last night. Right. As an absolute layman, watching the game last night, for majority of it, I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> but what I did see was Patrick Mahomes probably seeing the game slip away from him. And really, as the the leader of that group, take the, take the bull by the horns, Mm-hmm. Run the ball, throw the ball, and absolute ice in that guy's veins. Mm-hmm. Knowing that one intercepted pass or not travel with it, sure. the, the NFL enthusiasts are going to be cringing listening to me analysing that game last night. <laughs> that was pretty good. So actually, that I, was good. I should probably yeah. just have stopped after saying the second best game to NFL. <laughs> but uh, as far as how would you compare watching a, a, a soccer game versus uh, an American football game? Or, or is it like night and day to you? Or could could you see becoming a pretty big NFL fan in the years to come? Yeah, so pr- probably maybe three or four years before I came over to okay. the country. I started watching it, obviously, with the time difference. It's a, it's a little bit late in, in, in Scotland to to be staying up and, and I need my beauty sleep um, <laughs> as you can see. So no, I, I, was, I was enjoying it. I, I love the tactical aspect to mm. it. I think it, it's, it's a game that is very coach-driven with the, the, the pre-designed plays, etc. But, no, I... I um, yeah, I need to get to I need to get to a live game. I've not been to a Patriots game yet. I need to get there. If MD out there is listening to this, who wants to host me somewhere, then I'll absolutely take them on. But, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's an incredible game to watch. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Totally different, but so enjoyable. Yeah, you put your finger on why I sometimes just marvel at football, because it is so complex there's so much that goes into the strategy with 11 dudes running around the field on both sides smashing into each other all yeah yeah, all kinds of rules and then sometimes as a coach i feel for them they have to make important decisions in like 30 seconds unless you take a timeout sean your thoughts second best game of gaelic football for me Oh, okay. I'm not sure how familiar that's going to be to people listening Um, it's not marlin (laughs) well tell us a little bit about yeah so i mean Probably the best way to describe it would be soccer and rugby mixed in. Okay, but I think just the also the setup. So if, uh, in the All Ireland, like there's 30, 32 counties in Ireland. You have to be from that county to play for. You play for a local club team, and then if you represent your county, then you just and then you go and play. And it's so there's a lot of pride. I mean, lot there's of, a lot of yeah, pride. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amateur. Yeah, but yeah. they're some of the fittest men and women, probably <laughs> athletes around. And I think for an amateur sport to be able to sell out. Uh, 80,000 stadium in Dublin at Croke Park. That's crazy. Yeah, it's wow. pre- pretty special. Wow. Okay. So I imagine like like rugby, there's no forward passes. Are there, are no, there no, of, no, there are the forward passes. Oh, there are forward so, passes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so you can you can catch the ball. You can you can dribble. You have to... I can see Greg shaking his head. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it does not approve. So you, must, so you have to toe tap or you can bounce the ball. Can't bounce the ball twice in a row. And then you can kick pass it. You can hand pass it. 
if you if you imagine a soccer goal and then American football goals or rugby goals where the post continue to go up. Right. So if you score a goal, it's worth three points. If you put the ball over the bar, wow. it's, uh, it's worth one I know what I'm YouTubing so tonight. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure checking it out tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, we had a crude, I think, imitation of that we used to play in summer camp. We called it, somebody named it Speedball, which is a terrible <laughs> name for But it was basically uh, soccer, but, but if you kicked it up in the air, you could catch it, and once somebody caught it, then you could you could pass it like like ultimate frisbee style. Anyway, yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't that much <laughs> fun, but this, this sounds better. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, your thoughts? I'm, I'm going to be boring, and I'm just going to go with basketball because those were my two sports growing up: soccer and basketball. And I still play basketball to this day. And I broke my foot playing basketball in November, the day before Thanksgiving, so I probably shouldn't be playing it anymore. But I just love it because I can still play it, and better so than I can still play soccer. I mean, I just get too winded trying to play <laughs> soccer now. I just I can't like. My touch is okay still, but I can't. I get winded. I just get tired. Basketball, I can camp out and shoot jump shots. So I'll go with basketball right. so, because they're just my two favorite sports. All right. We'll go in opposite order this time. So, Matt, you're first. Since our friends here are both from overseas, I, I was reminded of a scene in one of my favorite movies, Train Spotting, starring Ewan McGregor. And in, in the opening, yeah. in the opening scene, they're playing what looks like either a pickup soccer game or maybe like a local, like a beer league soccer game. And it, and it occurred to me that I imagine those leagues are probably more popular in Europe and the, in the UK. They're around here, Matt. I get, you're a good person to ask, but should, should there be more of them in the, in the U.S.? That's yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, we, there's just not, there's not even nearly enough of it around here. I mean, I, and to, in this, in this country too, that's how you gain popularity. You just have to have people playing everywhere and at, at any skill level at any, they're slightly inebriated. Who cares? Like yeah, I have fun. a couple beers, go play. I mean, I, who cares? Like yeah. that's, there's definitely a need for more of that in this country. I'd, I'd say. Okay. Sean, y- your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate enough. To, I've been involved in, I think, BSSL, based at Soccer League. I think yep. but I, th- I think when I first started playing, there was maybe one division, if not two. I think there's now three divisions and a north and south third division. So, so there's definitely leagues there, but definitely nowhere near enough. And, and, and the majority of the guys would be either Euro- European or South American. Right. With yeah. kind of a few Americans in there. But it's definitely, I think there's, I think there's an opportunity there to, to really so go. So do up. you play at all? Not really. The, yeah, no, I still do. I play. I play Tuesdays at seven a.m. up at Mall before. Oh, seven a.m. early. There's a Tuesday. There's a Friday. There's a Wednesday night. So, but the the left hamstring is. Uh, I was going to say you're ready. To, you're ready to go at seven a.m. to play. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. yeah the be- beer doesn't yeah. taste so good. At I know. It's a little early. <laughs> Greg, your thoughts. One of my favorite movies. Train spotting. Train spotting. That is a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Followed by Train Spotting Two. <laughs> um, they're they're right. both very good. Yeah. And then, I, I, and then think well, <laughs> you're going full, That's a trifecta right there. Full All Scottish, three. Full yeah. Scottish on us now. Yeah, I'm, I'm massively patriotic. Yeah. I think it was a mistake to put a spud in goal. He, he didn't seem to be... He didn't cover so much ground there. No, he's yeah. not much a goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the five-a-side um, world back in, in Scotland would certainly would be a vibrant one, more for a, a kind of social aspect. And, and there's a ton of these complexes where they're... They're just cages with turf down and mini goals. And a group of guys come along from work, from just buddies from maybe high school or whatever, get together. And there's generally a bar associated to the to, to the complex. And I think it is something that, that would would really take off here. Where I think you now have a lot of guys in their 40s, 50s here who probably went through the college process here, love the game, real first-generation football enthusiasts. I, I, I think someday to... 
to buy a bit of land and throw a few of these complexes together would get would get one very very rich, but would have massive popularity and a lot of injuries probably as a, <laughs> a as ton a of injuries. Yeah, as a result of it. Yeah, there. there this is no mystery to any of you, but I just noticed when my my kids are older now, but when they played youth soccer. I noticed all these complexes that definitely were not around when I was a kid. Most of them indoor, I guess, but but mainly for youth. And and I think occasionally they had the adult indoor soccer game there. But yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, we how many softball leagues do we have in this country? Everywhere. Yeah, you walk to any, take a step to the right, and there's a softball league going. Yeah. All right. Final question for extra time, and Greg will start with you. Just a fun question. What's what's the best kind of music to warm up to before a soccer game? And if you're so bold, you can provide band names or just types. And I know Ooh. you're going to say the Proclaimers, okay, <laughs> so we can just be done with that. The, yeah, yeah, the Proclaimers' greatest hits would probably be on loop. Uh, yeah, so we when we go, particularly on the road, the the opposition quite often will have a boombox out in the whilst the warm ups going on. It's not necessarily for me. When we were at Celtic, the players would would like to have the music playing in the changing room. Within the confines of the changing room, I think it's fine, and, and the players would control the music. I'm not sure I would get away with being the DJ nowadays for the, <laughs> yeah. the players. I'd, I'd probably go with a a rocky kind of Kings of Leon sort of genre. Kings of Leon, okay. Yeah, a nice kind of foot tapping, but a tempo to it. Okay. Good chorus, sing along. But the players, I'm sure, probably now would not be having any of that. <laughs> no, they probably would want hip-hop. Yeah. Sean, yeah. music. I mean, the music that the boys listen to these days. I mean, I have no idea. No, no it's unrecognisable to me. Yeah, yeah. And in fairness, MLS next um, with their rules and regulations around what you can and can't say. I don't think the lyrics. And as Greg and I is the certified culture coordinators for the club, we'll have to report our boys. But uh, probably someone like the Foo Fighters or nice. Yeah. Okay. That that's good old fashioned rock and roll. Yeah, I, I'm a big music guy myself, and. Through the, I loved like the dance music. Usher did the halftime of the switch, which was better than I thought it would yeah. be. It was pretty good. It was, it was pretty better good. than I thought it would be. Yeah. And so I was into that when Usher. Re- I mean, I love rock, but I also I was kind of cool with a lot of the hip hop of like the two thousands. Now I have no clue. Like I have no clue what they're listening <laughs> to. I mean, it, it just it doesn't sound like it has a melody to me. Matt, your thoughts? So when I was when I was playing back when I was suiting up, I was going. Rage Against the Machine. I was going like tool. I was going hard or rock because that, that's what spoke to me. Although I would dabble in some of the hip hop. Like I'd take Eminem, I'd take Biggie, but like mm. nowadays the stuff, yeah, they listen to even like even at like the youth levels, the stuff they want to play in the car before they're going. I'm like, what do you got? This is horrendous. <laughs> like it's not, it doesn't pump you up. It, like I don't know what it does, but it's, yeah, it's you, just, you said it. It's, it's not, it, a lot of the, the rap songs are just kind of slow. And, and, it doesn't and, exist. And, like we, yeah, like not, we knew, yeah. like we knew hip hop and and rap. Like that doesn't exist anymore. Like that stuff now doesn't happen. And it's just not there. The rap back then, like Tupac would would pump you up. Some yeah, of that stuff would right. get you going. It would get you going. But now it's just I don't know. It doesn't exist. Yeah. All right. We we don't have any of that music to take us out today, Matt, because <laughs> we try to limit the amount of cuss words on this podcast. But yeah. great job all around the the board there on extra time and matt back to you to wrap it up guys this was great great job on the on the extra time that's never easy you never know what you're going to get from david but you guys you guys handled that like pros but thanks again for coming in this was great you guys are doing awesome stuff at the club i think it's it's messages that need to get out so thanks to you guys for coming in thanks for having us great thank you yeah thank you Matt. absolutely thanks again to sean napier and greg robertson for joining the podcast i'm matt langoni thanks for listening new england soccer journals the gold podcast is produced by david yaz and is a siemens media production You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. 
Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.